the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Thank you so much for choosing to join Life Church today if you're online. Thanks for tuning in. If you're live and in person, we're so glad that you're here. Today, we're in week two of a series we're calling The New Normal. And many times that phrase, new normal, kind of describes what life is like once people start getting, to nor- getting back to normal after some sort of crisis. People talked about the new normal after 9-11, the new normal after the Great Recession. People are trying to figure out the new normal in this post or mid-COVID moment that we find ourselves in. But when we're talking about this new normal, thing over the next few weeks. We're talking about what does the new normal look like for the life of someone who is 100% surrendered to Jesus. And so today I want to talk to you about this big piece of the Christian life. I want to talk to you about Christ-centered relationships. If you have your Bible, go over to John 13. John 13, verse 34. And what we see here is Jesus is going to up the ante. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with your whole person, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, everything else is kind of tied back to these two. This is the greatest commandment and the second commandment. But here's what we see. Jesus, right before he's, he's going to be heading to the cross, he's talking to his disciples disciples and he's upping the ante to whole new levels. John chapter 13 and verse 34. Here's what he says. He he says, a new command I give you, love one another. Well, there's nothing new about that. Here's the new part. He says, the new command I give you is as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He totally ups the ante. It's no longer simply love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying the way that I have loved you, that's how you're to love one another. And, and not, far, not, not much later, Jesus says, um, there, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so Jesus ups the ante. He said, my followers aren't just going to love each other like, like, like love your neighbor as yourself. He says, my followers are going to love one another the way I have loved you. He says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so here's the thing. This Christ-centered relationship thing has always been at the center of what it means to be a Christian. It's always been just this giant part of the Christian life. And so what Jesus says is he says, the way in which my followers love each other, it's, it's going to be the way people know they're my followers. See, I, I grew up in, a, in, a, in an environment of church where it seemed like that the greatest mark of spiritual maturity was whoever knew the most Bible verses. Like if you were the Bible answer man, then you were totally winning at following Jesus. And so whoever knew the most, whoever had memorized the most, whoever, whoever had all the right answers for every theological question, that like the mark of spiritual maturity looked like knowledge. Like whoever knows the most is the winner. But Jesus here, he says, the way people are going to know you're my followers, he doesn't say it's whoever knows the most. He, he doesn't say who, whoever has the, the right answer to everything. He says, you will, they will know that you're my followers by your love for one another. So here's this, this truth that we're passionate about at Life Church: that love really is the greatest marker of spiritual maturity. 
That the more and more in which which I'm growing in the way of Jesus, growing as a follower of Jesus, the more and more I will love like Jesus. And so it's at the very center of what it means to be Christian. And and what we see in America is a phenomenon that, 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 that is really unique in many ways to us. It's the idea that that people would say, I really love Jesus, I consider myself a follower of Jesus, but but I'm doing this Christian life thing on my own. I don't don't need to be connected to other Christians. I don't need the church. it's It's my personal relationship with Jesus, and it's just me and Jesus. But the, the problem with that is this, that you'll, you'll find absolutely no evidence. If you, somebody was just to read the New Testament and say, what's it supposed to look like to follow Jesus? There's no way in the world, a fair reading of the New Testament, you'd come out of and say, you know what? I, I think it's just me and Jesus. It's just a personal relationship with you, just me and him. There, you would, there's absolutely no way you'd get that idea. That's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he, he said, pray like this. He said, our Father. Jesus, because today when you're praying, pray, pray, my Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our, our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is making it very clear there and in many, many, many ways that this whole idea of following Jesus is not a solo sport. It's a team sport where where Jesus did not simply die on the cross and rise again so that you could have your sins forgiven, although he did. And he didn't simply do it so that that the Holy Spirit might live inside of you, although he did. And he didn't do it simply so so that you wouldn't have to fear death and could live forever. He, He didn't do it simply for that, although he did. He did it to make you a part of God's family. And he did it to give you brothers and sisters. And so this whole idea of Christ-centered relationships, it's at the very center of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus died to make you a part of his family. But listen, these Christ-centered relationships have always been at the center of what it means to follow Jesus. But in some ways, they feel more important now than ever. I think they feel more important now, feel more valuable now than ever. Now, there was a, a study conducted in 2020. Now, the thing about 2020 is, is there was the first three months of 2020, and then there was 2020, you know? I don't know when this study was done in 2020, but here's what it said. 61% of Americans reported feeling lonely in 2020. A 7% increase from 2018. See, the thing is, this low, we live in a loneliness epidemic. We, we live in a time where, where, where there, there's actual nations that have created cabinet-level positions called the Minister of Loneliness, just trying to help people figure out a way to make some friends. See, the thing is, this, this, this deep Christ-centered relationship thing, it's always been at the very center of following Jesus, but I think it's, it's even maybe more important now, maybe even more valuable now than ever coming out of, of COVID, that, that for many of us, those of us that didn't lose a loved one or, or have someone that, that we're, we're close to get terribly sick, for most of us, so one of the greatest difficult things of this COVID season has been the isolation 
It's been breaking up those normal rhythms that help us feel connected, help us feel close, help us know and be known. And so in part, I feel like this, this moment we're in, these, these deep Christ-centered relationships, they feel more valuable than ever. Here, here's how the writer of Hebrews, I'm going to read you Ecclesiastes first. Let me show this to you. He says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. We see this loneliness thing. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So here's what we see, as we see someone that's killing it at work, that their career's going great, and they've got plenty of money, but it's never enough. They're killing it at work, they're killing it in their career, killing it financially, but they find themselves alone, they find themselves lonely. He says, for whom am I toiling, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one. He says, we need each other because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Any of you guys sleep every night with a big time snuggler? Anyone want to confess that? Like seven snuggly people at Life Church? It's unfortunate. Claire is a big time snuggler. Like if I roll over 10 inches in the bed, Claire is following me immediately. If I roll over 10 more inches, she's following me to the point where if you kind of have that moment in the night where you're a little bit uncomfortable and like, I just need to sleep by myself for a minute. I have to make a specific, specific request. Hey, can I have a few minutes? And if she's sleeping deeply, if she's sleeping deeply, she'll pretend not to hear me. Now it's, the writer Ecclesiastes is talking about this in a little bit of a different way. Imagine that you're in the ancient world and maybe you're a shepherd, you're out in the middle of nowhere, or you're on a long journey and you're out in the middle of nowhere and the night gets colder than you thought it was going to because weather forecasts weren't so much a thing then, and you didn't bring the sleeping bags that you can make now, that they make now, that can keep you warm even if it's negative 30 degrees outside, you're gonna be okay in your sleeping bag. They didn't have those. So you might be out on the field and it's getting so cold that if you don't have some help, maybe you might die. So a couple of shepherds, not in a weird sexual way, but just an I want to live till morning kind of way, you say to your smelly friend, can you sleep a little closer? I won't tell anyone if you don't tell anyone. I just don't want to die tonight. He says, man, we need each other. Two are better than one. You get a better return on your work. If you fall down and there's no one there to help you get up, what are you going to do? If you're about to freeze to death at night, what are you going to do? He, he, says, he says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The thing is, these Christ-centered relationships, they've always been at the center of what it means to follow Jesus, but in some ways they feel more valuable now than ever. In Hebrews 10, 23, writer Hebrews says it this way. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. He says the way it's supposed to work as followers of Jesus is that when we get together, we actually make each other better. We bring out the best in each other, like iron sharpens iron. One man, one man sharpens another. And so this thing, he says, we make each other better. We spur one another on to love better and to love more and to, and to fulfill our potential, fulfill the good deeds that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more 
as you see the day approaching. See, the thing is, I think these relationships are more valuable in, the, in light of the last year. I think these relationships are more valuable in the, in, in the light of technology. See, see, I think what's happened in the last 10, 15 years or so is that as social media has become such a big part of our lives, it's very, very normal for many people to, to be able to point to hundreds or even thousands of, of online friends or online followers, people that, that you know what they ate for dinner last night and you know what their kid wore on the first day of school because we all desperately wanted to know. Just made all the moms hate me. I'm sorry. Sorry. And you have this feeling like you kind of know hundreds of people or thousands of people, but if you were challenged to say, can you list three deep friendships? People that know your, your greatest hope. People that know your greatest fears. People that know the thing you're most excited about, the thing you're struggling with the most. The three deep friendships, many people that have hundreds of online friendships, thousands of online friendships, but it came down to someone that you say, they really know me and I really know them. And man, if I, and if I found myself, got pulled over, had a warrant I didn't know I had, I end up in jail at midnight. I know if I called them, here's how you know you've got a good friend. You call somebody, you say, I'm in jail and the bail's 10 grand. And they don't then ask what you did. You know, kind of a friend, like, well, what did you do? Real friend just comes down there and bails you out. And lots of people have hundreds or thousands of people that you call friends but are really just acquaintances. But in terms of, of a deep relationship where you're known and, 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 and they're known, it's, it's very rare. So I think these are more valuable in light of technology. I think they're more valuable in light of where we live. See, because of the way cultures changed around, around the world and around our country, people no longer stay in their hometowns forever. And, and, and I think there's few places that's more true than this one. A little experiment. How, how many of you, raise your hand if you were not born in Washoe County. Raise your hand if you, almost 95% of us. If you've been at Life Church long enough, you've heard me tell this story three or four times. If you stay long enough, I'll tell it three or four more. When we were first moving here 16 years ago, the house we were renting, it wasn't quite ready yet. We had, we had to put our stuff in storage for a little bit. We arrived, we'd load up the storage place. Claire and I are staying at the old Reno Hilton, the Grand Sierra. We're staying there and I'm checking in. I look off in the distance, there's a little newsstand and I see that, that bastion of high-level journalism, the Reno News and Review. And in giant letters it says, why is Nevada such a lousy place to live. And I'm like, crap, we just moved here. So I left Claire to finish the check-in. I went and got that. I spent the next two hours in that Reno Hilton just reading that article backwards and forwards. Back, and it was a pretty great article, really high-level thinking. And, and, and the sociologist was talking about why is Nevada typically at the top of the bad lists and the bottom of the good lists? At the, at the bottom of the list of education, at the top of the list on divorce, at the bottom of the list on, on health care, at the top of the list on senior adult depression, and, and all these things, and, and like the top is so many bad, and the bottom is so many good. And so then the sociologist tried to begin to unpack that. And he said, well, the obvious would be to say, well, it's probably the effect of gambling and prostitution. 
And, and but then the, and that would be the easy answer. And then he began to say, but you know what? There's point out there's three or four other places in America where both of those things are fairly prevalent, and, and a lot of the problems that we face here are different there. And so the sociologist said, well, that may play a part. That's definitely not the main thing. There are places where those things are things, and they still do okay on education and healthcare and all of these things. And uh, and so this 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 sociologist theory was this. That two things, two factors that are related. Uh, one, that, that the whole idea of that rugged Western individualism, the kind of people that moved to Nevada, the early settlers of our state, came out here to mine or, or, or to stake their claim on some land. And, and it was about what, what can I do, this self-made man who was kind of separate, or kind of here to do his own thing, to make his fortune. There was this kind of rugged individualism that says, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I don't really need anybody else. It's kind of the people that, that, that kind of settled our state. And then the second thing he pointed out is that almost nobody's from here. And it's a lot easier to text your grandma who's halfway across the country and say, hey, I know we've been married for seven years, but, but my husband and I were, were calling it quits and you just shoot her a text letting her know you're getting divorced as opposed to that grandma that, that if you're living in that same town and you see her every Sunday for lunch week after week after week and she saw that you guys were having trouble long before you guys ever knew you were having trouble, there's something that happens when we're separate from family. And we find ourselves alone and there's no one to help you pick up the kids from after school. And, and there's no one, there's all these things where we're just not, we're not from here. We don't have family. And at that moment, as I'm sitting in that Reno Hilton, just reading about why is Nevada at the top of the bad list, bottom of the good. And it comes down to it's a bunch of disconnected people that don't have any family and desperately need family. And at that point, I was more certain than ever that, that that's, that's what this church is going to be. It's going to become family for people that don't have one. And, and, and by God's kindness and goodness, and that over the last 15 years, that's happened for hundreds and hundreds of people. I was talking to a, a guy out on the patio before service, and, and they just moved here about two or three years ago, and they're talking about their life group. He said, man, it has become our lifeline. We're out here all alone. And so I believe that this whole Christ-centered relationship thing, it's always been at the core of what it is to be Christian, but I think it might be even more important now than ever. And here's the third thing. Having these deep Christ-centered relationships will require four commitments. Here's the first one. It'll require making time. It'll require a commitment that says, I will create space in my life to do this well. If I were to ask many of you, do you have the relationships that you wished you had? Do you have the depth of friendships that you wished you had? Many of you would say yes, but lots of you would say no. And then I would say, well, why not? And then the answer for most of you who said no would say, well, I just don't have the time. But there's a personal responsibility where, where we can't make ourselves victims as though we have absolutely no control of our time that comes to us a realization that I have as much time as anyone else has. And it's simply, what am I going to choose to decide matters? And it's important to, from time to time, look at your life, look at your family's schedule and ask yourself the question, are, are, are we too busy to have meaningful, close relationships? If you were to look at our, our schedule and look at our calendar and ask and say, does it look like by the, the way my calendar's set up that I really do believe that there's nothing more important in life than loving well? And loving well and being hurried almost never work together. Just that moment you're trying to get all the kids ready for church and it's, everyone get to the car and someone's not coming and you're in a hurry. It's never that moment you're like, wow, 
I just love my family so much. Stepping back, Claire and I have been doing some of that, looking at our life and saying, are we set up where, where we can love well? And so it's a matter of, of creating the time. Another magazine that has no downside to it is GQ magazine. Asked the late, great Kobe Bryant if he had any friends. Here's what Kobe said. He said, I, I have, quote, like minds. You know, I've been fortunate to play in Los Angeles where there are a lot of people like me. Actors, musicians, businessmen, obsessives, people who feel like God put them here on earth to do whatever it is that they do. Now, do we have time to build great relationships? Do we have time to build great friendships? No. Do we have time to socialize and to hang out aimlessly? No. Do we want to do that? No. We want to work. I enjoy working. Then the interviewer asked, do you miss the idea of having a great friendship? And, and Bryant replied, of course. It's not like I'm saying I don't need friends because I'm so strong. It's a weakness. When I was growing up in Italy, I grew up in isolation. I was the only black kid. I didn't speak the language. I'd be in one city, but then we'd move to a different city and I'd have to do everything again. I'd make friends, but I'd never be a part of the group because the other kids were already growing up together. So this is how I grew up, and these are the weaknesses that I have. And here's what I think. I think had Kobe not died a tragic death prematurely and had lived another 30 or 40 years, he would have, he, he would have either come to a point in his life where he said, you know what, relationships actually matter more than trophies. Or he'd have come to a spot where he regretted that he hadn't. And here's the fact. There's a lot of people that end up kind of like Kobe, just not as famous, who say, you know what, I'm, I'm going I'm to kill it at work, and that's where I'm going to put all of my energy and have nothing left to have great relationships. So I've got to come to a spot where, where I will create time to make it a priority. One way we do that at Life Church is we have what's called life groups. Just groups of people that most of them meet once a week. Many of the groups end up sharing a meal, talking about life, encouraging one another in their faith journey, really just kind of trying to create some deep, meaningful, Christ-centered relationships. You're going to have an opportunity after this service to sign up for one of those. Those are going to start in the next few weeks. And check out this video. My name is Teresa Vardillos. Hi, I'm Byron Vardillos, and I'm in a life group at Life Church. The April before COVID started, we moved to Reno. And being in church for since we've been married, we know that's a good way to get connected in groups. So we jumped right in right away because we wanted to be connected. We don't have any family here. Church is our family. My name is Chris O'Sullivan. I'm in a life group at Life Church. And I'm Kathy O'Sullivan. I'm in the same life group. Since we've been involved in churches, we've been involved in life groups for the last 32 years, the entire time we've been married. So it's always been a way that we've connected to the body of the church. I decided to get connected into a life group because uh, for me, um, it's just like having family. And when we uh, we're in Colorado before we moved here. We had uh, um, a great life group that we were in for a number of years, and um, it was uh, like a family to us. And so when we came here, we definitely wanted to uh, connect with uh, another life group and, and have those relationships again with other believers. 
Hi, my name is Deb Campbell. Being in a community of other believers um, encourages me to want to press on with life, no matter what comes my way. They also um, listen very patiently to my life stories. They um, give me wise counsel. They pray with me and for me. And they also encourage me to be a better Christian. Having the support and encouragement from the Christ-centered relationships that we can find in a life group is just everything. I've heard it said that you're either in a crisis, about to be in a crisis, or just coming out of a crisis. And when you're in a life group, um, you're with a, with a group of people that, that go through that with you and you with them. Being in a life group has blessed me so much. Um, it allows you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to each other. And I have found that being able to serve and to come alongside and help others in the group um, is just really life-giving and it's what, uh, it's what Jesus would want us to do. You know, over the years uh, we've been involved with life groups through a lot of different times in our life, a lot of different seasons. Uh, years ago, our son got sick and it was the life group that came together uh, to help us out. Um, there have been other times where, you know, just like raising a teenage daughter, you know, that's, that, that's difficult, you need some support, you know? And, uh, and other times where we've been in financial crisis and whatnot, it's been really great to have the support and those connections. And I think the relational part of it, being in those Christ-centered uh, relationships, is something that you don't get every day. You may not get that at the office. You may not be around uh, believers. And so having that community, having, having those people in your life really can help you in your spiritual walk. It can help you mature your walk with Christ, knowing that you have brothers and sisters there that are supporting you. And when you have struggles, um, are there to encourage you, and then you're there to encourage them as well with their struggles or what's going on in their life. So it's really hard, I think, to grow uh, as a Christian without having those relationships in place. The thing that I appreciate the most about this life group is um, their servanthood. They actively seek ways to serve one another, and when they serve, they do it joyfully. And um, this feels new and different to me, and it's just been a wonderful experience. We've been able to bless other people, like people we didn't even know, but the life group knew because we were new, and we were able to just show up, put out their trash when they needed it, and they're out of town, you know, stuff like that. And it can be small stuff, but it's a huge blessing in someone's life. You know, if you're new to Life Church or you've never been in a group, I'd encourage you to bring a sense of urgency uh, to that. And, you know, don't be shy, don't be afraid, engage, and get in a life group quickly. If someone asks me if they should join a life group, my first and immediate answer is absolutely. Just do it, you won't regret it. We all have lives and we all have our, you know, have our schedules and everything. and. I know a lot of people are busy and 
But if you're too busy to to take care of your spiritual health and, you're too busy. and be in a group, then you're too busy. So <laughs> join a group. Step outside the comfort zone and trust the Lord and what the Lord will do through you and in you in these relationships um, will be amazing. else get the feeling that when Pastor Scott shoved Byron, and then Byron shoved him back, that Scott thought to himself, you weren't supposed to shove me back. Now I'm going to shove you, shove you down. And then I found myself rooting for that ending to this video, and uh, then I was like, what's wrong with my heart? And Anyway. Hey, so if you're gonna if you're gonna have deep Christ-centered relationships, it takes the commitment to time, it takes the commitment to authenticity. That that. Many times I think we go through life thinking if people knew my downsides, if people knew my weaknesses and struggles, they, they, they really wouldn't like me. And so what authenticity does when you pursue deep Christ-centered relationships is you say, I'm going to let people know the real me. Even if a day's not going good, I'm not going to feel the need to lie about it. If we've got some struggles at home, I'm not going to feel the need to lie about it. I'm not saying that you should. Listen, there's a difference between authenticity and transparency. In transparency, people see everything there is to see. And listen, not everybody's meant to see everything. Authenticity, you may not see everything there is to see, but what you do see is real. And so if you're going to have deep Christ-centered relationships, you say, hey, God's made us family. And, and that because God has made us a part of, of, of this family together, that, that I'm going to be real and I'm going to seek to be able to be known and to be authentic. But, but here's the thing, there's a, the flip side of authenticity is grace. See, it's going to take a commitment to authenticity, letting people know the real you, the good, the bad, the ugly, even on the hard days. But it's also going to take a commitment of grace where, where I will offer the same grace that I desperately need. So as, as people, as you're letting people see that, that you're not perfect and that you've got areas of brokenness and areas of growth and struggles and have hard days, you're also saying that, that as you see that in others, that, that you're going, you're, you're going to be gracious. And here's what first, Peter says in 1 Peter 4 He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Paul says, Romans 15, 7, I love it. He says, accept one another. Why? Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. See, what grace says is it says, when I see that you have flaws and brokenness, even areas of weirdness, I will still love and accept you. Because Jesus has given me grace and love and acceptance, not because I'm perfect, but in the midst of my brokenness and my sin, Jesus has given me grace and love and, and acceptance, and he is not finished with me yet. And so there's this commitment that says, I'm going to let people see the real me, and as I see the real them, I'm, I'm going to love and accept them and, and, and give them the grace that I have already received and need to continue to receive. And then here's the last thing, is a commitment to prayer that I will ask God to help me to love even when it's hard. Ephesians 4.1, Paul says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, when it gets hard to love, keep loving. 
Bear with one another. Be patient. Bearing with or forbearing with one another in love. You know the prayer that I pray that I most frequently see a quick answer from God when I pray is this. Many times I will pray, God, I in my own strength cannot love this person. God, will you, by your Holy Spirit, love them through me? Would you help me to love? And I'm telling you, most of the time I pray that, it quickly is answered. He helps me. Now, here's why. Here's why I think that, that God's quickest to answer that prayer. Because I think there's few things that we can pray that are more, but that we know are a slam dunk. This is God's will. I mean, Jesus said, what's life all about? Loving God and loving people. And so when we have a hard time loving God, I say, God, would you help me to love you more? And we have a hard time loving people. We say, God, would you help me to love? Uh, I, my instinct and my flesh, because it's gotten hard to love them, is to give up on them. But God, you didn't give up on me, even though I'm hard to love. You didn't give up on me, but you pursued me. Jesus died for me. And so God, would you help me to love? Would you help me to hang in there? So here's the thing. Living in Christ-centered relationships, absolutely vital for every area of your life. It's foundational for what it means to follow Jesus. It, it, it will improve every, it'll improve your, your marriage, it'll improve your mental health, it'll improve your, your physical health. It's incredibly important, but it, but it doesn't happen on accident usually. Usually it comes from this recognition that this is a giant piece of what it means to follow Jesus. It looks like creating time in your life. It, it, it looks like making, making it a priority. It looks like choosing to be authentic and real even when it's hard. It looks like choosing to love and accept others even when they're hard to love and then asking God to help us learn to love even when it's difficult. So I want to challenge you today. Hundreds of you are already in groups. You already signed up. You were in a group before and you've already made the choice to sign up for that same group again. Others of you might have been in a group Back before pre-COVID, and this is going to be your first time in the last year and a half to re-engage, I want to challenge you to do it. Uh, others of you might have been in groups like this at other churches, and, but never at Life Church. I want to challenge you to do it. And others of you have never been in a group like this in any church ever, and you're totally scared to death. You're like, what if I get there and they're totally weird? <laughs> we'll help you. Just let us know. We'll help you find another group. So I want to challenge you to do it, to take that step. We've got groups almost every day of the week. We've got groups of morning, um, afternoon, evening. We've got groups for men, groups for ladies, groups that are co-ed, groups specifically targeted on helping you improve your marriage. We've got groups for 18 to 25-year-old uh, young singles. We've got so, groups for pretty much the vast majority of, of life stages, the vast majority of days of the week. I want to encourage you to join a group. Let me pray for you. There are hundreds and hundreds of people at Life Church that at one point were sitting in the chair you're sitting in, thinking, should I join a group? And they took that step and have gone on to make the greatest friends that they've ever had in their lives gone on to, to raise their kids together and go on vacation together and go camping together. Families that have connected, that, that now have become like extended family to one another and cousins and aunts and uncles and, and ladies that, 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 have, that have met another lady at a woman's Bible study that, that the experiences that, that, that one had had before, it was as if she was just prepared to, that with the experiences that the, that the other had had before, it was as if God had just prepared them to meet that day and that table and that Bible study, and they've gone on to support one another for years. 
So Father, as people go and look for groups, Lord, I, I, I pray that, that you, by your spirit, would just guide people to the right group. A group where, where they would grow in you. A group where, where they would learn more and more what it looks like to love like you love us. And a group where, where they would make some of the greatest friends of their lives. Friends like family. Because you've made us a part of your forever family. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, I'm going to dismiss you to go and sign up for a group. Thanks for coming. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.